the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Firing Line. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sport in Riverside, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, CCW Safe, Mop and Financial Advisors, and Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino. Now, your host, Philip Naiman. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Hello, folks. This is Philip Naiman. Welcome back to or welcome to Firing Line Radio Show. I want to thank my uh, special friend who filled in for me last week, Paul Chabot. Paul Chabot, I know he didn't talk about it much when he was on the show, but Paul Chabot is running for Congress for the 31st District, a very, very important seat. It's a seat that covers Upland, Rancho, San Bernardino, uh, Redlands, Rialto, Colton, all the Inland Empire cities here. We need to have somebody like Paul Chabot representing us because the person that we have right now is named Pete Aguilar. And Pete Aguilar, after Obama's uh, State of the Union speech where he's asking for more gun control and his executive actions, Pete Aguilar came out with an op-ed piece saying that Obama did not go far enough. So this is your opportunity this year, 2016, to replace Pete Aguilar, set him back on the bench, make him go get a real job, and uh, put a real American patriot in place. So I highly recommend you get involved with Paul Chabot, paulchabot.com, paulchabotforcongress.com. He's an excellent guy, military veteran, um, great family man. He believes in the Constitution, he believes in your rights, and he's there to support it. So I want to thank him for being on my show last week, which allowed me and my friends to go to Mexico, which we're going to talk about now. So, Paul, thank you very much. Again, paulchabot.com. Let's check that out. Also, uh, February 6th, coming up here, folks. February 6th is the Friends of the NRA Desert and Friends of the NRA Dinner in Palm Desert. So check that out, friendsofthenra.com. We have another one coming up in... uh, in March in Riverside and in Rancho Cucamonga. So check those out. Friends of the NRA dinner. We want to make sure that we're strong this year going into this election year. So folks, let me introduce to you without any further ado, two wanted men from Mexico. (laughs) I have Paul Bisson here on my left. You're right. If you're playing along at home, Uh, Paul Bisson uh, and uh, I have Matt Taylor. Both of these guys just came back from me with Mexico, having a, a wild time, a wild trip. We want to talk about, that particular trip. So, Paul, thank you for joining me. Matt, thanks for being on the show. Thank thanks you for having me. So, <clears throat> Matt, you've been a, you've gone to Mexico several times, and actually, both of you have. Yes. So, how did it come about where you first decided to, hey, let's go hunting in Mexico? When most people feel that you know Mexico is some place you last place you want to go with a firearm. Well, it was funny is you know we were looking for different places to hunt mule deer. And we've always heard about big deer being in Mexico. I never really understood why or how they would exist in the desert. But I uh, searched out a couple of little websites, uh, looked around, and, and, and found a gentleman um, when we first went probably five years ago that uh, was at that time Sonora Darkhorn Hunters, a guy named Raul Cardova. 
he uh, kind of introduced us to the to the mule deer hunting in Sonora, and we we flew down there, and and Paul and I invited Paul at the time because. I really didn't want to go down by myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's good I, to have I, a cellmate. Yeah. yeah. I was a little concerned, but we uh, we kind of went down and, and enjoyed a, a, a 10-day hunt that turned into probably a 14-day hunt. And we, we got to experience the uh, the whole uh, Sonora hunting experience. It wasn't quite as nice as the one you just came back from, though. We spent many days in the torture racks. What's the torture racks? Well, if you just saw the bedding that we had, it was uh, pretty crude. <laughs> <laughs> they bought it at the uh, at the Mexican jail. It was actually jail. it was successful in making me not snore. I was so uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I was so uncomfortable. I never slept. You'd have done well there. <laughs> I think it was a piece of board over uh, a couple blocks. That's it? what it was with a, like about a one inch mat. <laughs> well, at least you got the mat. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You got the luxury suite. There was no heat. We froze our buns off. Now that's something people don't understand about about Mexico. You always think of it's hot and tropical and so forth, but it got it gets cold out there. Well, it's huge swings in temperature. Yeah. From you know, we like saw as lo- we saw as low as ten degrees in the morning to you know eighty in the afternoon. Uh, and the first time we went there, that that was the coldest that I've ever been there. We went back what the last four years in a row, and they were never as cold as that first year. And the crazy thing is 130 in the summer. So, I mean, you, you know, these, I can't even figure out how the mule deer even exist in that arena, to be honest with you. I mean, I, you know, obviously they have this, they can sustain life through what they call their choya is their, is their main source of water during the summer. Choya, choya, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's this strange looking cactus that's designed to impale you if you simply yeah. look at it. Yeah, if you spend any time in the golf course, they call it jumping choya because yeah. they yeah. say if you get near it in the golf course, the needles just jump into you. Yeah, it's the flying pickles of death yes. because uh, the pieces of choya are small. They're, they look like, like pickles mm-hmm. with, uh, with an S&M attitude. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> they are literally covered, covered with you know two to three inch long, very, very sharp needles. And the way that the choy is constructed, it kind of grows vertical up. And then all these little pickles, if you will, the flying pickles of death, hang with a very small connecting piece, one on top of the other. So the whole plant gets top heavy. If you bump it, it collapses. All the pickles fall apart and and impale whatever mm-hmm. has touched this thing. Amazing impalement. Like yeah. Through car tires, everything. It gets your attention. Yeah. You know, was that a choy I just stepped on? Uh, you know, you will know that. Oh, you will yeah. not have to question that. But the worst part is you're walking through the brush and the guy behind you kicks one. And here you are. You've been careful. You've gone around this one. You've gone around that one. You're doing your thing, right? You're doing your stock. The guy behind you kicks a choya bush and all the flying pickles of death attached to your backside. Yes. Uh, in, in a quick, uh, rapid succession. <laughs> we would go through. We, in the first year we were there, we weren't too uh, savvy of dealing with the choya. And I remember Matt would have him like all the time on his back shoulder. He would just end up with them. He was he couldn't get away from them no matter what he did. <laughs> They were. I'm, I became friends with them on this trip. I, I decided that I'm no longer going to hate the choy. I'm going to actually try to uh, make peace it. and uh, and not be so concerned. Because I mean, when you're walking around out here, I mean, certainly you can see how it gets transferred around throughout the whole state or the whole Sonora world is because it attaches to everything. I mean, it, the tires when you when you drive the trucks down through. It's amazing. There, it transfers everywhere. It just sticks to the tire. I mean, it, it's literally just rolling in the tire as it's going around. It, it's it's quite amazing stuff, and he's certainly getting it out of you is another concept too as well. I mean, that's something that I learned in the beginning because you want to reach down and grab it. 
Well, it's a, <laughs> you know, when you do that, you, pay, you get a handful. You get, yeah, you get stuck about three more times. <laughs> so you got to find sticks and you know knives and things to try to peel it out of you. I mean, it's an interesting you know uh, additive to the to the hunting that we do there. So I think the, the most important thing when you're dealing with choya is you should have like a Leatherman tool mm-hmm. with you because you're going to have to pull some spikes out eventually. And that's great to have that. I mean, the, the needles are so thick and so hard, you need pliers yeah. to pull them out sometimes. But if you have them, say they're stuck on your, your clothing, like uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago I got a nice patch on my thigh, yeah, thigh through my shin, uh, and that was in our local desert. Yeah. I looked over my shoulder while we were walking, trying to point something out, and I caught, a, I caught the choya. Wow. I, it was trying to get away. <laughs> but I was able to halt its forward progress yes, exactly. and uh, attach it to myself. But if you grab your pant legs and spread it wide and then pull off your skin, you can remove the whole flying pickle of death at one time. Hmm. So that's one good thing. And then, you know, the ones that didn't come out with that, you've got your pliers. <laughs> the pliers, put the leatherman to use. Knives, anything but your hand. Or your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> the other, the other way, the other way that it really gets you is that when you actually get a deer on the ground, is everyone wants to grab the deer and load them up in the truck or do whatever, and then you and the deer have them in them, just not the pickle part, just the stickers, and so they end up in your hand that way too. So you can't even. You, there's just nothing you can do to get away from this stuff. The northern northern Mexican desert is a very hostile environment. It's, Absolutely, it's alive at all times, and many different types of cactus. We talk about choya. There's that stick man looking cactus that was seguro. Is that what it's it is? Giant seguros. I mean, they're like 25, 30 feet tall, but they have a little sticks. Like it almost looks like hangman. Have you ever seen those? They're straight. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And that's another type of. of I don't know if it's a choya, but it certainly uh, has the same effect. They look like they had an erector set the way yeah. those things were built. It, <laughs> it had a stem from the bottom, and then it kind of came out like a triangle right. effect. And it, it touched – yeah. Um, I took several pictures of my post on our Facebook page of the different cacti that uh, we encountered. Uh, giant segura, the uh, giant uh, organ cactus, which had the, all the multiples. I mean, there's some really pretty stuff. Just don't touch. Ocotillo. Yeah. Ocotillo. You, uh, you can see how those deer uh, are – only the strong survive, so that's why we see the bigger, badder deer, because they're just tough. Yeah, we're going to talk about that when we come back here, about the, the different types of animals. But, you know, one of the things you said was the place was alive. And this looks like absolute barren landscape, except about every 50 feet there's a jackrabbit or a libere, I think they call them down there. And those were unique in their own sense. They had mm-hmm. big white rear ends. and White side on one side. They were just cool. Yeah. And abundant. Very abundant. There was I mean, a lot of cottontail also. There was some cottontail. I saw more more of the Jackson yeah. cottontails by maybe eight to eight to one. Tremendous numbers of quail. Yeah, we saw and some. Quail. Well, on the, on the one ranch I was on, we saw zero quail, but a lot of quail on the on the second ranch. I yeah, awesome time, folks. This is Philip Neyman, Firing Line Radio Show. Check us out on Facebook, Firing Line Radio Show. Our website, FiringLineRadio.com. We'll be right back after this. A message from Vince at Bullseye Sport. Bullseye Sport thanks the many families who have allowed us to provide them a firearm that helped them protect their home this past year. Before you shop for your personal protection firearm, I encourage you to come on down to Bullseye Sport in Riverside and speak with me, Vince, the owner, or one of my many good people at the store. You will receive a welcome and an educational experience that will help you feel confident and comfortable in your firearm purchase. Bullseye Sport wishes you and your family a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, 
and to have a safe holiday season. Give the gift of protection with a stocking stuffer or gift certificate in any amount from Bullseye Sport. Use your AM590 mobile app to enter to win a bucket of bullets, 1,400 rounds of 22 ammunition. Download it for Apple or Droid and click on the Bullseye ad to enter. No purchase necessary. Bullseye Sport in Riverside, 951-823-0211. Pull! Whether you're a gold medalist or new to the sport of shooting, you'll love Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino, where Olympians shoot. Prado's shotgun facility is world-class, offering trap, skeet, and five-stand. And the pistol and rifle ranges are safe and enjoyable shooting environments with professionals there to answer all your questions. Are you an experienced pistol shooter with an itch to take your skills to the next level? Discover the sport of practical shooting at one of the monthly events. Prado hosts ISPC shooting events open to the public every first and third Sunday with Prado Running Gun Club, blending accuracy, power, and speed with challenging multiple moving targets, penalty targets, and obstacles. Prado Olympic Shooting Park is a great place to teach your whole family about the safe and effective use of firearms. Bring the whole family for an exciting day at the shooting range. Call Prado Olympic Shooting Park at 909-597-4518. Online at shootprado.com. 909-597-4518. AM 590. The answer. This portion of the Firing Line Radio Show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick! Hey folks, welcome back to Boomstick Radio. Philip Maiman, Firing Line Radio Show here. Um, Always we like to recognize our sponsors. You know, we've got Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, and one of our main sponsors, Vince Torres, owner of Bullseye Sports Guns and Ammo in Riverside, wants to stress the importance of safety in firearm usage. If you're a first-time gun owner or thinking about purchasing your first firearm, whether for hunting, home defense, or target shooting, it's important to take the next step and become a responsible gun owner. Vince and I highly recommend that you attend a certified firearm safety and training course, one that will teach you the basic knowledge, skills, and attitude essential to the safe and efficient use of your firearm. As a law-abiding citizen, you have the right to self-defense. And with that right comes the obligation to educate yourself on the laws and safety procedures needed to use a firearm properly. For more information on the certified firearm courses called Bullseye Sport and Riverside, 951-823-0211. Guys, that should be on your speed dial by now. On the, or visit their website, bullseyesport.com, for a schedule of classes because Bullseye Sport Guns and Ammo, they believe in safety first. 951-823-0211. 951-823-0211. Thank you, Vince, for all you do. Thanks for being a sponsor. You know, I also want to point something out, folks. Uh, we have the AM590 app for your phone. I just went and put it on my phone finally. But if you put this on your phone and you sign up, click the button for CCW Safe, one of our other great sponsors, you have an opportunity to win a free year's coverage. Now, you have to have your CCW for that. So if you think about it, you want to make sure you probably have a small pool of people that are going to be competing for this. So I would download that app, sign up for CCW Safe on their advertisement on there, and you're going to win or have a good chance of winning a, uh, a free year's coverage. So check that out. Thank you, CCWSA, for all that you do. Hey, welcoming back here, I have Paul Bisson and Matt Taylor. We're talking about our adventures in Mexico, uh, the Flying Choya Pickle Service Circus, <laughs> and how to survive that. So that's your number one tip. Number one tip is is don't mess with the federales. 
Number two tip is avoid the flying pickles of death at all costs. <laughs> Better known as Choya. Yeah, otherwise known as Choya. Um, so let's talk about the type of terrain. Obviously, we're in a very flat area. There's a lot of tall mesquite. The deer are surviving in between the patches of mesquite and uh, Palo Verde and the Choya patches. But talk about the mule deer themselves, if you will. Just an extremely large... Uh... Uh, animal compared to mule deer anywhere else on the planet. I mean, antler wise, antler wise and body wise, I think. I mean, some of those deer were two hundred fifty, two hundred seventy pounds. Yeah, the the biggest one. I I thought it was interesting the the ratio between body size to antler size. I thought was huge because they obviously have some incredible minerals or something down there. I mean, I haven't really quite figured it out. I think from the first time we went down, you know, looking at what we thought we were going to see versus what really came out was 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 amazing i mean you're kind of driving along and, and you're in a high rack and you're doing the necessary things and the, the land is so vast that it's really hard to imagine that there's even deer there i mean we for the first time i think when paul and i first went down we, we both said the same thing it's like geez well, and you would drive for we might drive for three hours and not see any deer and then out of nowhere comes this big old deer and and, and usually we're trying to hunt during the rut, which makes it a little bit easier for us. I, I couldn't imagine hunting that arena down there without that. I as don't an think advantage. you would see them at all if you weren't there and during the rut. Well, I think if you're there like in October, it's still 100 degrees. They're all going to be fully nocturnal. They're not going to be coming out of that. No, heat. the hunting season yeah. starts um, November 31st, and it goes through February or the end of January. So, you know, the, the early part. I, I actually went up this year a little bit early, December 11th, and and they were starting to rut a little bit and we were able to see a few but but back to your question i mean the the, the size of the mule deer there and the vast of the uh of the acreage i mean i think the first year we hunted on a ranch that was you know three combined ranches it was six hundred fifty thousand acres and, i mean and, and when you look at that kind of terrain um being at a ceiling probably what paul 12 to 15 feet tall probably is is what you're where looking brushes, at yeah. where the brush and the trees and so you're just looking through different pockets trying to to find these animals. I always describe it to everybody as, where's Waldo? You're playing where's Waldo in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we talked to, you mentioned a couple of numbers there. You said high rack. So not everybody knows what a high rack is. So explain high rack. Um, basically, it's it's the uh, uh, rack built over the uh, top of a pickup that you... Or Suburban. Yeah, or Suburban or whatever. You just climb a ladder up to it and basically put you at roof height of the vehicle and a little bit higher. And uh, from there, you can get a view of looking down on top of that uh, area instead of trying to look across it. Because looking across it, everything is, on an average, probably blocked out at six foot high. So your, your field of view is so limited on the ground. I mean, you might see... It lucky to see maybe fifty to seventy five yards if it's any clarity, and then after that, it's just a big mess. Now, high racks are very popular in Texas. That's kind of the way they hunt white-tailed deer down there, and it's because your your visibility is is so limited. It's the um, same, yeah, yeah. It's the same terrain, right? Sure. So the high rack, you're going to be ten or fifteen feet. Well, maybe not fifteen feet, but you're at least ten feet in the air. Yeah. Um, Every bit of 10 feet. Yeah. So <clears throat> you're able to look down and, and to see farther. And frankly, you don't get to see 65,000 acres. You didn't see 65,000 acres of, of territory because you're limited to a couple hundred yards from wherever you are at the most. Most oh, yeah. of it's 50 to 70 yards. It takes many days of traveling all those roads to even get close to seeing 20,000 acres. I mean, there's 
That's miles, square miles. I bet you 60,000 acres got to be somewhere around 50 square miles. You know, we, we, we when you're driving down the road, and a lot of times most of the roads down there are like north and south, east and west. So, you know, it's if, if you took a section of land that was a mile, you, you're basically driving the outskirts of that section because inside of that section of land between, you know, the roads, there's no roads in. So, you know, our 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 ability to view animals are strictly on, you know, 100 yards around the perimeter of each one of those sections. So, And, and it's, not, it's not the kind of terrain that you're going to be sneaking along inside of because you're going to be attacked by the flying pickles of death. <laughs> and it's, it's too dense and it's too dry. I mean, you're walking on gravel, which makes a big, loud crunching sound. And when you have burrow deer whose ears are 28 inches wide tip mm. to tip, uh, they, can hear, they can hear your thinking. So, you know, you're not going to be stocking up on, on basically anything. They know you're coming long before you do. Uh, not only that, you get off the road a half a mile and uh, you have no landmarks because it's totally flat everywhere. And if you're not careful, you don't know your positioning, you're there for a long time. We had that experience a little bit. You know, we, we shot at a deer and, and, uh, and was trying to track it um, and kind of, you know, when you're with your guy, you obviously feel pretty safe about what he's doing, and a lot of these guys are very, you know, good about uh, keeping track of, of, of where you started. I mean, and, and you think you are, too, as a hunter. You know, I pay attention a lot to, to different landmarks, but everything inside that arena looks the same. And, you know, you walk maybe four or 500 yards inside there, and all of a sudden you're looking around going, and there's no tracks to track you back because the sand's so hard. Right. You can't follow back where you started from. And there is no high point to view from. Right. And now all of a sudden you panic a little bit because you're like, okay. Like, wait, shouldn't the sun be over there? Yes. <laughs> and the problem is it's cloudy. So we don't have the sun either. And, and, and so you end up, you know, a little bit, you know, in, in your own mindset thinking, geez, okay, hang on a second. I need to really concentrate on what I'm doing. And, and then you lose the concept. You get trying disoriented, to no question about it. Yeah. And the other thing is is we're using vehicles on this because the, the animal density is not like whitetails in South Texas. No. You know, here you might be looking at one animal per square mile. Correct. Whether it's a doe or a fawn, just the, the overall numbers is probably about That's one. That's on a per, good day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's on one per square mile. And, uh, you know, you could have several miles where there's nothing and then one area where there's five or six, but it doesn't mean that they're a big buck. So your density is so low that stand hunting, boy, if you just set a stand up out there watching a trail. Yeah, you could be a lonely person. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not going to pay off so some types of and they don't do baiting like you know they have feeding stations in texas and stuff but they don't do that down there so it, it's not really your only possible choice is either to go to one spot where there's a hill which literally one spot in 100 square miles where there's yeah. a hill or or you're going to have to be on the move and catch them as they are moving that's 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 the only way we've been able to so really, and I take that back. I mean, some of the guys that go coos deer hunting down there and different things, they get up on hills. And but that's terrain's different where the coos deer are. But when we're doing in the flatlands, you you have to put in the drive time. And, and the person that drives the most and, and sits in the rack the most probably has a better advantage than, you know, obviously have some luck along the line as well. And this is actually mentally taxing because as <laughs> you're driving, you're looking at every different angle. As the car moves 
10 feet, there's a new angle. You're looking underneath each bush. You're looking for different shapes and different sizes and different colors. And you're processing this mentally as you're moving the entire time. So it's not, you know, if you're smoking and joking, you're missing things. Yeah, I actually have to remind myself all the time to, you know, look with detail. Sometimes I'm just scanning with my eyes and not even like really looking i mean i'm just kind of going through the motions but i'm not really like individually looking at each tree each bush yeah. and looking underneath them because they're not standing out in the open they're they're, they're underneath those canopies and yeah. what and little they, they are and they see it coming folks firing line radio show we'll be right back here with paul bisson and matt taylor and we'll finish up the hunt in sonora Are you an expert marksman looking for a clean, safe place to shoot? Or maybe you've never shot a gun but want to learn? Well, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range is the best place to work on your shooting skills, no matter what your experience level is. With 21,000 square feet of indoor range space, 35 shooting lanes, and an electronic target retrieval system, it means no line breaks and more trigger time. The friendly people at Riverside Indoor Shooting Range can answer all your questions about firearms training, self-defense training, firearm rentals, gunsmithing, archery, and more. And for the ladies, the Riverside chapter of The Well-Armed Woman meets there the second Tuesday of each month for women of all experience levels. Looking for a great holiday gift for the shooting enthusiast in your life? During the month of December, get 10% off a full year's membership or 10% off any gift certificate of $40 or more. Riverside Indoor Shooting Range. For directions and info, log on to RiversideIndoorShootingRange.com. That's RiversideIndoorShootingRange.com. AM590. The answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range and CCW Safe. Spartans, lay down your weapons. Persians, come and get them. That's right, folks. It's Mulan Labe Saturday and uh, Firing Line Radio Show. Check us out on our Facebook page, Firing Line Radio Show, or online, FiringLineRadio.com. Just to let you know, we have new sponsors that come on, and Cutting Edge Bullets is one of them. They're a bullet I used. I used in Mexico. It's a wonderful thing. And Vortex Optics. So we have some great sponsors. Now, they give us product, and I like to share that with my listeners. If you want to get on the list to accidentally win some things, I would suggest that you go to FiringLineRadio.com, follow the links through SoundCloud to subscribe to our podcasts. They'll get sent to you every week. If I have something to give away, I tend to pick from that list. I mean, if you're going to go through the the pain to sign up for a free podcast, those are the people I'm going to possibly reward no guarantees here but uh if you don't do it i can guarantee you won't win so (laughs) check us out firinglineradio.com follow the links through soundcloud to subscribe to the podcasts and uh we'll see what we can send you away and again cutting edge bullets you can't get a better um, non-lead bullet for hunting and for tactical shooting it's absolutely awesome cnc swiss cnc machined vortex optics great stuff so thank you for that let's go back here We're, we're joining with paul And uh, Matt, we're in Sonora uh, on our hunt we just came back from. We're in the high racks. The deer are in the rut. The weather is fluctuating. We've stayed away from the flying pickles of death. (laughs) And, uh, Paul, let's talk about your your hunt this year. How did you do? I did well. I got a really nice buck. Okay, end of story. Next, move on. No, it was... was, was, This is radio, man. Work with me. No, no, it was was, was, uh, relatively quick compared to everybody else. I was only... uh, I think I was only three, four hunts into it, 
and uh, we stumbled into a beast, and uh, he was paired up with a mare, uh, with a mare, with a, uh, with a, a doe. Mare. He was that big. Yeah, he, he was, was that big. Horses. I wanted to call him a horse. <laughs> um, no, he was uh, he was with a doe, and uh, uh, once you see that body size, there's no question he's big. And then all you got to do is take the time to show you his face and look at those horns, and the rest is automatic. Now. Your particular buck was a four by four, wasn't it? Four by four, yeah. Yeah. So four by four, meaning that there's four points on the left, four points on the right. Here in America, we don't count eye guards. Right. Um, the people on the East Coast would call that a five by five. Yeah. Well, whatever. Or a ten. <laughs> yeah. Or a t- yeah. Ten, there you ten, go. ten. Yeah. It's a four by four, which is a typical, um, a typical mature buck will tend to have four points, but yours had some amazing mass. Yeah, he was extremely big. He was uh, seven inches at the base, uh, which uh, and he carried that weight throughout his entire. Yeah, it was system. pretty uniformed all the way through to the end. Um, normally, we don't see them bigger than four, maybe five. If this, you know, that's a good one that we've seen previously. So that was a really heavy one. And he was heavy, and he was about 31 inches wide. Yeah, well, that was kind of giving him the better side of 31. I mean, it was more like 30 and change. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're generous. Here. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the total score, uh, we took him uh, right to like 190. So a total of 190 inches with uh, all the computation of how to measure them by girth and time length and so forth. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when they go to measuring the deer, there's different, well, there's one formula that tends to, um, it almost favors animals that look more like a whitetail than a traditional mule deer because a mule deer, you end up with wide and tall mass, maybe not a lot of points, and they don't tend to score as well as something that's narrower with larger points. So, uh, you know, the scoring thing is, is interesting. You can get to the same number two different ways. It seems like you just described your own deer. Yeah. <laughs> well, shh, they don't know I got one yet. Um, yeah, but it's exactly right. I mean, I look at yours, and he's 31 inches wide and heavy and tall, and he's got the same score as one that's narrower but has longer points. It's, the scoring system is kind of interesting. I just think, you know, you take the buck because he's an awesome animal. And yeah, the, uh, one, of the, one. one of the guys down there aged him, uh, um, uh, Yanko's brother. Who is Chino. Uh, does Chino, Chino? Who does taxidermy work? Mm-hmm. So he's pretty savvy on the animals and age and so forth. And he aged him and said that mine was like ten years old, which makes sense because he's got he had smaller points, but he carried his mass all the way throughout. Yeah, he might have been animal. on the downside even. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he could have been bigger last year. And how far was your shot? Oh, no more than one hundred and thirty yards. And they make they make mention quite often that that most deer there would probably die of old age than ever ever being shot or even seen because there's not a lot of hunting down there. Well, even if there is, there's just so much ground and property or so much area to hunt that you may not never even see some of these animals. You know, we we get the opportunity as Paul described because they're in the rut and and they're they may come out of that hole that they've been living in for a long time chasing a a doe and and expose themselves in areas that you know a ten year old a ten year old deer is a pretty old deer right. And he's been through some rough. Winters. Yeah. Jeez, man. That's a lot of, that's a lot of time. And they make mention quite often that most deer there will die of old age before they'd ever be shot. He actually was uh, damaged. If you, I don't know that you ever saw it, but his whole right foot was, um, was deformed. Turned in. Yeah, it was turned he in. Looked it looked like he might've got hung up on a fence or something. And it was actually canted, uh, out and the, the hoof itself was grown crooked. It was, he might've sprained it playing basketball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, I think when they jump those cattle fences, I think they get hooked up on them sometimes. Yeah. And, and with that body weight, maybe just twist it wrong. And 
I had I had one um, that I took in Colorado. His toenail was bent up like a genie foot, and there's a groove across the top. It's like maybe a, a bullet had crossed over it. Mm-hmm. It, it was kind of funky. This guy had a pretty good scar on the face of his uh, of his hoof too. Like the though this this was something that really got him. Like it ripped hide away because the yeah. scar was huge there. And then the the hoof itself, instead of turning up like you just described, they actually turned out. It was it was he was walking on the side of his hoof. And quite a few, I think Luke's deer, you know, had the same uh, yeah had the same foot problem too. as yeah. well. You know, the train down there's pretty tough. I mean, you horrible. They uh, they have that buffalo grass that that, that is involved in. This particular ranch that we're on, they, the grass was very. They had a lot of rain this year, so the the height of the grass was probably waist high. So you know these animals are are abund amongst a lot of stuff when they're cruising through. A lot of perils and walk through. (laughs) Yeah, they almost want to walk up and say, "Take me, take me." Matt, how did your hunt go? Went great. Uh, I worked real hard on uh, on the on the high rack for many days, searching for you know my goal this year was to try to shoot a two hundred plus inch buck and. And uh, we saw a lot of deer. We, we were, Which are very few and far between. That's, yeah. That's like the holy grail. It is. And, and we certainly passed on a lot of good bucks. Um, you know, 185-inch deer that, you know, when you look at them, boy, you just can't believe that you're not going to shoot them. But your guy just impresses upon you that they're not what you're looking for. And you, you move on, which is sometimes a little hard to take. Bitter pill, bitter pill to swallow. <laughs> I had that happen to me. It's yeah. like, no, don't shoot them. Like, are you serious? <laughs> he goes, no, no, no. And then, you know, and the, the thing there is, your time frame that you have to hunt in is very, very short. I mean, when I say not to hunt, but actually to shoot, I mean, from the time you get the opportunity to see the deer to the time you're pulling the trigger, you probably have less than eight seconds. And one of the things that happens is, again, we're, you're, you're constantly on the move, so you're rolling down these slow roads, and you're only doing three to four miles an hour maybe. You know, just, That'd just, be fast, yeah. Yeah, you're just putting along. But by the time you recognize an animal or see something you want to look at, You've passed it. That shooting lane is gone, or the visual lane is gone. So now you've got to stop, alta, 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 yeah. back up, back up, back up. You know, <laughs> more, 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 more. <laughs> and, and so the big bucks, they hear all this, mm-hmm. and they saw the truck, and the truck's coming back to like, you know, they're not going to sit around for very for long. That. So when you finally see it, you've got seconds, and sometimes only a few seconds, right, to make a decision on size, whether he's what you're looking for, whether he's. Three by four, four by four. You, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of and whether he's going to give you yeah, a chance. There's a or bunch not. of there's a bunch of stuff that goes yeah, through and, that. And, and they stand right behind a tree where you have no shot. Yeah. And so now you're sitting there waiting. Okay, well, if he moves to the left, I have you know one second. If he walks out, you know, obviously I have probably three seconds. But all that has to be, and you never really got a good look at the deer. So there's a lot of things going on for it to happen. And you know, they use some primitive ways, which is, you know, in our beginning, they have a rope tied to the driver. So basically, <laughs> to, his wrist, to his wrist, yeah. to his wrist, and he has his window open and you have a rope up on top. So the idea is that you can stop the truck without having to say anything. And and, and really, it does work a lot of times until you if have you to pull move. The rope. Right? Yeah. You pull the rope, he stops immediately. And then, always in the wrong spot. Absolutely. And yeah. never stops where, you, where <laughs> you're going to shoot. Now it becomes a bit of a challenge to try to figure out, you know, whether you need to go forward, whether you need to go backwards. And what the opportunity is going to be for you to actually get a shot. So and typically they're not standing in the open; they're staying underneath the canopy of the bush. So, so now you—I mean, that's for me. After the few years I've been down there, but now with Matt, I just look for body size because if the body size is big, then I know there's a good chance that everything on top of his head is going to look good. If he you ever know, that's comes interesting. Out. There were not a lot of mid-sized animals. No, no. there were either spikes yeah. with the does. Um, I think I saw two 
smaller three-pointers. Um, but other than that, they're either huge or not. Yeah, and when you see huge, you know, if you see, uh, you know, get used to seeing them, you see a doze, you see the smaller little spikes, and then when you see the so-called horse buck, it's just giant. The elusive yeah, horse, horse buck. buck. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just the body size is no mistake. So now you have to make a decision after he pulls his head out of the uh, trees to even see if he's got the point you want. Yeah, well, that's, that's being overly picky, if you ask me. <laughs> Firing Line Radio Show folks will be right back after this. If you carry a concealed weapon and own a concealed carry permit, you need protection beyond the weapon. My name is Larry Vickers, and I am a retired veteran of U.S. Special Operations, and I now teach law enforcement, civilians, and members of our military in advanced firearm training. I train people to use their firearms in almost any situation, but I can't prepare them for what happens if they are forced to use a gun to save their lives. That's why I use CCW Safe. They offer membership plans for concealed carry permit holders, and if members are involved in a use of force incident, CCW Safe provides expert witnesses, investigators, and the best defense attorneys in the U.S. Yearly plans range from $99 for a single membership to $150 for a dual membership, and special plans are available for law enforcement and military. Members are required to have a valid concealed carry permit and must maintain their permit. Visit ccwsafe.com today. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the Firing Line Radio Show is brought to you by Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino and by Moppin Financial Advisors. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? Hey, folks, welcome back to Firing Line Radio Show again. Philip Naiman having a good time here with some friends, Paul and Matt. We just got back from Sonora. We had a fantastic hunt. You just heard Paul shot a monster buck, a 31-inch wide, huge mule deer from Sonora. Matt had a great time in, in his first go-round in December and shot, well, you tell the story. What? <laughs> <laughs> it, it choked him up. It, it was such a good time. He still can't get over it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> Yeah, the first we came down in December the uh, I think it was the eleventh, um, and I wanted to go down early to try to see if the you know what what the difference would be in hunting uh, the the deer if they were more abundant you know sometimes the big bucks um, because they live in a certain area they don't chase does and they might be a better chance of of Pattern, being able yeah. to to figure out where they're hanging and, and really get a chance of, of obtaining one. Um, and it worked out, you know, the first day we were there, we saw quite a few deer, um, and quite a few bucks as a matter of fact. And, and we had come around one of the, up in the front of the ranch there. And I, I had, uh, we'd spotted a nice deer and, and a doe and there was a big buck with it. And we couldn't quite determine the size of it because it was the left side of its antlers was in the trees. And we were, we sat there this time, it was very generous. I mean, we were there probably for five minutes. And the deer was just standing still behind the tree. He was acting as though we hadn't seen him. And but you were a long ways away. We were 235 yards at that. It was kind of like down a little pipeline so where right. you could actually see right. farther into the area. But he had he eventually turned. Um, I probably had about two seconds to shoot. No, None of the guides said anything. And, and, and we passed the buck. Um, and when I seen him in the scope, I wanted to cry afterwards because he was – he had a bunch of stickers, and he looked haunted. You, he looked really good, and I was I was cussing out the the uh, guide, and at that time he was ranging. You were gently him. giving him instructions <laughs> for future uh, actions. That's more politely said, yes. <laughs> but we uh, we went around and, and we hunted a couple more days, and we came back up to that section again, 
And here, here's the thing, you know, we're standing there and I'm standing up in the rack trying to get a better vision and we're going down the road and bam, here all of a sudden that deer comes out again uh, with a doe. He was actually rutting just a tad. Um, he's seen us, ducked in behind a bush. I jumped off. I, I sat down on the on the rack, grabbed the gun, put it, shot through the bush. And, and we knew exactly who the deer was. And, and it shot right through the middle of the bush. Unfortunately, I didn't hit any any of the uh, heavier branches. Yes. And it just and we got him. And but I mean, all that happened in probably five seconds from the time we saw the deer to the time I jumped off, grabbed the gun, got on him and shot was just amazing. And, and one, it, two, it, yeah, three. Four, four, five, four. the gun's off. And that's it. I mean, and, and he stayed behind the bush, fortunately for us. He didn't move. If he moved five more feet, I would have never shot the deer. So it, it was a great, and it turned out to be a spectacular buck. He he was 197 inches plus, just a little bit. And he has um, a he has a very uniform right side, big heavy four. And then his, his left side is... Got all kinds of junk show. on it. it was, yeah. And that's the problem that, that we had a challenge at the beginning because... The typical four side, we weren't going to shoot him. He would have probably scored a 180, 185 inch buck, maybe. Um, but with all the junk on the left side, when he turned, you know, it made him, you know, one of the bucks you don't want to pass up. No, he's spectacular, spectacular yeah. animal. Beautiful. Now uh, this year, uh, when I I hunted one ranch uh, out in uh, by Benjamin Hill, Los Cuervos, which is also called uh, Ciudad de. you you do not want to go there but um spent a couple days out at that ranch and didn't see anything large enough so after a couple paul had had tagged out and and rob and jeff had tagged out so they moved me back to this other ranch where you guys were at and my first morning out there the first deer we run into and i'd been warned i've been chastised and scolded don't shoot the first buck you see well, the first one that came out was this monster three-point. I mean, if you put your hands over your head like this, this is what he looked like. He was tall. He was heavy. He was at 388 yards. I was dialed in. I had a great rest. The crosshairs were where they needed to be. And uh, I'm like, this is awesome. He's a monster. He's 30 inches wide. He's tall. Yeah, he's a three-point, but he is a monster. And Abram, my guide, says, no. No bueno. No what? He says, no, no bueno. I get you bigger. I, I said, I said, you are crazy. You are out of your mind, loco crazy. That is a monster buck. He goes, yes, but I get you bigger. So <laughs> he's a great guy too. Yeah, he was awesome. Yeah. We had a lot of fun. Ran into another one that morning, uh, four by three that was really heavy, and that one I didn't like as much. But that first buck was just, you know, just like when you saw that one run away. All day long, and my head was like, oh, I think I made the biggest mistake of my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know if we're going to see anything better than that or not, but um, he was at 388 yards, and it was, you know, perfect. And so then the following morning, it rained that night. It was very foggy, but the area of the ranch we went to was up above the fog, so it worked out really great for us. <laughs> and we, we headed up to this one area, and we're looking around, and we see a fork and horn spike you know, like a hundred pound animal on the left hand side. And he's just standing there. So we stop, we look, we don't see anything. And then the doe betrays the buck. She comes towards us from behind all the series of bushes and drags this monster buck with her. <laughs> and I practice long range shooting as you do, Matt. And, and, uh, we focus on that a lot and, you know, you're always set up to do this, right? So I made the longest shot of my life about 
50 yards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, he, he comes out and, um, you know, I've been chastised. And, hey, listen to your guide. Listen to your guide. I walked away from a monster three-point earlier the, the day before. And I'm looking at this buck and he's a big four. He's not real wide, maybe 26, 27 wide, but he's tall. He's heavy throughout. and But he had that beautiful dark horn that I like, the uh, Café uh, Oscuro. Mm-hmm. in Spanish as, as I learned and he's right on the dough and he just stops and he's just looking at us and and uh, he is so intent on this dough I mean you think about it they only get to rut for, rut for about six weeks out of the entire year so that's 11 and a half months off yeah. so <laughs> yeah. so he's pretty focused on, on his business there and um, finally Abram says it's good I said good he says yes shoot he says yes yeah. <laughs> nonchalant yeah. yeah so uh we shot and made the best 50 yard shot of my life yeah um turned out to be a great deer though oh, uh, it was beautiful cosmetically best looking of the bunch by far you know i i couldn't be happier he's, I mean, he's absolutely... a 190 inch buck i mean how do you not like that and it's perfectly symmetrical he looks like a model for you yeah he is he's a model he's he's got a special place at the house going to be going up but you know one of the things like i, I was talking about is your training you know, you're training for long range shooting when the opportunity comes. This one didn't happen to be very far. Um, but Matt, you do a lot of training and shooting yourself to to make sure you can handle those those things when they occur. Absolutely. You know, we've you know, a year ago we bought um went to a shooting class, a long range shooting class that was put on by Western Precision Rifles and and we opened our eyes to to quite the experience of what is out there in, in today's technology about really being able to shoot, you know. 1200 1500 1800 yards and i never really believed in my life that you'd ever do something like that i own the gun that i currently shoot now um a year prior to going to that shooting class and i you know i never had any intentions of shooting over probably you know 500 yards maximum um but going to that class enlightened us quite a bit and and really opened our eyes to what the technology really has to offer to people today with the right equipment and the right ballistics and the right bullets and all those types of things but but like we said before, you know, a calculator, having a calculator in the gun doesn't make you a sniper. No, it's the practice. And certainly for us, they taught us a lot about how to hold on the gun, how to squeeze the triggers, how to breathe, how to breathe, how to how to really take the time and effort to make a good shot. And I think really what's happened with with my, you know, ability to shoot better, so to speak, if not bad English, is that just practice. You know, we go out to the range quite a bit. I mean, I I'm out to the range at least twice twice a month shooting five, six, seven hundred yards, you know, making sure that I shoot offhand, you know, at, at those two and three hundred yard ranges, you know, doing all kinds of different positions, trying to understand and then also shooting out in long distances. When you're shooting twelve or thirteen hundred yards, you know, you have to have good rest. You have to have, you know, all the everything has to be right. You're not gonna hit a target at that range unless you are, you know, doing the necessary things to do so. Yeah. So practice is, has been essential for us and, and certainly has made Paul, I've seen huge improvements in Paul and myself included in, in just being able to be you know exposed to that. Now, we hunted together in Wyoming last year. You made about a 470-yard shot on a nice bull, uh, you know, just just laying there prone. We were ready. The, he walked right back into the same meadow and you took the shot, you know, exactly the way it should have been. And you just came back from another hunt in Wyoming <laughs> where you took a bull at, 934 yards. That's the truth, folks. Wagon wagon wheel? Wagon hound ranch. Wagon hound. Wagon hound ranch in Wyoming. And that was a 350 bull? 367. Sorry. That's 367. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 17 are really important. Yeah. 
<laughs> 17 will get you 20. Um, <laughs> yeah. At least it used to. Folks, this is Firing Line Radio Show. I want to thank my guests, uh, Paul Bisson, Matt Taylor, for being on. And thanks for the great hunt in Mexico. We had a fantastic time. Lots of tacos and, and uh, enjoyed the whole thing. Enjoyed your company. It was best time, best deer. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sport in Riverside, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, CCW Safe, Mop and Financial Advisors, and Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.